So let's go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be in this chapter tonight, and then we'll be here tomorrow night, and then Sunday we'll go a little bit different direction. We're going to primarily, though, tonight be in Acts chapter 4, but go to Acts chapter 1 to begin with tonight. But Acts chapter 4 is where we'll kind of be camping out for the remainder of the evening. And I appreciate um, Pastor and his wife today had me over for... um, what would you call that? Dinner? I told them I wanted to eat earlier, and they were very gracious about that. I don't like to eat at 5 o'clock at night usually. Now, the angers are having me over tomorrow, so I know I just put my foot in it, but that's the way it goes. That's what honesty does, unfortunately, amen? You tell the truth, you get in trouble. But my grandkids will be there tomorrow, so I will be quite happy to fellowship tomorrow. And eat, but I do like to eat a little bit earlier. And, and they made shawarma, was it? Chicken shawarma? That was really good. I told, got a phone and told my wife about it. And I told her I was very good. I only had one plate, right? I only had one plate. And we also had a good time talking about bees because I love beekeeping. And I heard a rumor that your pastor's done that for a few years. And so we had a good time talking about bees. And basically how bees have done it for a long time. And the more we try to manage them, the more it doesn't turn out so good always. But but you get honey out of it. So I want to thank you as a church for partnering with us for a long time. Way back to Brother Doug Hammett, who is now a church planner, amen, in Africa, in South Africa. And um, just really appreciate you and what you've done. And I want you to know that some of you are new. Maybe you don't, you've never met me before. But for you that know us and through the years coming back and forth, we really appreciate what you have done. You've always been faithful and in prayers and in finance, and we appreciate that. And so tonight I want to be real respectful of time. I do get it. Um, preaching meetings and having visiting speakers. When you start churches and you have revival meetings, you know, people have to work jobs. And so I understand that. So tonight, let's get right into the preaching. I'm going to try to get this done here for us tonight without rushing the Lord. Amen. But we're going to say what we need to say in the time. So go with me to Acts chapter one. I'll let you remain seated tonight. We're going to read again, just kind of our text here in chapter one, verse one. We'll start there. And what we're talking about last night, tonight, and tomorrow night is we're talking about getting our focus back on the things that the Lord wants us to be focused on. And so let's just read a couple of verses here and we'll have a word of prayer and get right into it. The Bible says the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments. And so we talked about last night because we're going to see in a moment we get down here and the disciples, the Lord's church is they're they're concerned about a couple of things. Amen. Their first concern is, as we saw in verse seven last night, they're concerned about, are you going to restore the throne of David? Are you going to restore the kingdom? And that that's valid. Amen. They're Jews. They're expecting Messiah to come. He's come. He's died. Maybe they didn't expect that as much as, as Jews today do not. They don't really study Isaiah 53. But they expected Messiah to come. He came, and now there's no doubt who is there. They, they know he's Messiah. And now they're expecting him to hopefully set up the throne. And Jesus makes it very clear. You're not to worry about the things which are out of your control. But I have a job for you. And if you look in verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, 
And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now that's what we call the great what? Commission. That's what we call the great command, the great commission. We are commissioned as New Testament churches to reproduce ourselves throughout the world. Not just in our Jerusalem, not just in our Samaria, but in Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost part of the earth. And so what we're going to get to, and I'm going to go a little fast right now until we get in settled in where we're going to go. But what we saw last night was this. They come up and they're excited about the restoration of the kingdom. And Christ says, listen, the Lord says, listen, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. I think we can relate to this today if we're honest, because we're living in wicked times. Amen. We're living in perilous times. I think Pastor and I, as we were talking, not so much me about my children now, but my grandchildren, I really fear what's coming for them in the next 10, 20 years. This world is not getting friendlier towards the, the word of God and towards the things of God. And we know it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And so we are living. Paul said he was in the last days. We're really in the last days. We're in the last of the last days. And I believe the Lord is coming soon. I believe that. But I think if we're not careful, it's easy to get our focus. And that's why the angel said to them, hey, why stand ye gazing here? This same Jesus that left, he's coming again. And you know what he's telling them, I believe? Get your focus back on what you need to be focused on. Get to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Father. Get the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Get the power of God. And get out and do the Great Commission. And I think today we need to refocus on the things that Christ considered important. The first thing we saw last night was their focus needed to get back on the authority of Jesus Christ. They were not in charge. It wasn't their church, amen. It wasn't up to them to decide what the best route or the best plan was. It was up to them to follow the authority of Jesus Christ. But tonight I want to talk about something that I believe we see here in verse 3. Not only do we see his authority and the focus on it, but notice in verse 3, I believe this is very important tonight. And if you don't, if you thought I preached a little mundane yesterday, I'm really going to get excited today. Amen. Because I have experienced and lived what I'm going to preach today. And there are too many Christians today that walk around almost like we are apologetic for our Lord. And yet I want to tell you today, we need to get our focus back on the authenticity of Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the real thing. Amen. Politicians, as preacher and I were talking, they come and they go, they promise the world, they always fail, they never deliver. Jesus Christ is authentic. If you get out in this world and open your eyes spiritually as Jesus and you see this world as Christ sees it and you don't look at the Muslim as a threat but an opportunity to give the gospel to. When you look at the Mormon not as a threat but as someone to give the gospel to. The more you give out the gospel and the more you talk to them, all religion says the same thing. Do, do, do and hopefully you meet a standard and hopefully, I talked to a Muslim one time and I said so if you do everything the Quran says and you die and you stand before Allah which is Arabic for God not our God but their God their false God and he's I said so when you stand before Allah you're going to go to heaven then is that right he said oh no 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 he said at the judgment day 
And they would say the great judgment. We would say the great white throne judgment. They said Allah will determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. I said, you mean if you obey everything you know of the Quran, you have no guarantee. There is no guarantee in the Quran that you'll go to heaven. You know what he said to me with his head down? No, there's no guarantee. That's religion. But we don't have that. We have the authentic Jesus tonight. The authentic Set one of God, God who became flesh. And I want to show you in chapter four, after we open in prayer, I'm going to show you that in three chapters, what happens to these men when their eyes and their focus gets on the authenticity of Jesus Christ. It changes their life. We shouldn't have to be pushed into telling people about Christ, it ought to naturally come out of us, amen? And so let me show you what the Bible says. Let's go to chapter four, but let's open in a word of prayer, and then we're gonna get into the authenticity of Christ. Let's get our focus back on the authenticity of Jesus Christ. Father, tonight, I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would lead as I preach your word. Father, I am, I am truly nothing. Lord, they're all preachers. If, we, if anything good comes out of something we preach, we, we can't take credit for it, Lord. It is your word. And Lord, your word doesn't change. I love what Brother Burbage said tonight, Father, and we battle that. We, everybody battles that. You get around the so-called Christian community and they, they, nobody knows what the Bible is and nobody stands on any Bible. They think it's all full of errors. But thank you, Lord, tonight that Brother Burbage, through teaching your word and being faithful that there are men that are seeing the truth tonight. We have the word of God. And so we need you tonight, Father. The thing that I cannot do tonight, I could, I could get up and get loud. I can get excited and passionate. But none of that does anything, Lord, without the work of the Holy Ghost. And so tonight, Father, speak to hearts and let us see how your church your disciples, this church that you started, how that just a few chapters later in chapter four is they're out fulfilling the great commission. This isn't a church meeting other than the prayer they had in chapter four when they finally came together and were talking about the threatenings. But Lord, this is them out in the community preaching the word of God. Help us to see what authenticity does when we take hold of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about the authenticity of Christ tonight. We need to get our <coughs> focus on the authenticity of Christ. You know what, Judge Judy, and I don't know, probably get some chuckles there, but I kind of like that judge. I think she's pretty fair. I guess if she rules, any judge rules against you, they're not fair. But I like what she always would say in the courtroom. She'd always say, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to what? Think, amen? In other words, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to think about what you're gonna say, you just tell it. Well, let me tell you something. If you have that which is authentic, you don't have to try to sell it. You don't have to deceive about it. You don't have to, listen, if, if somebody, right today, if somebody had cancer and they were told they had six weeks to live and somebody told you they authentic, had an authentic, 
They had an authentic cure, whatever it is, natural whatever, and if you take it, you're gonna be healed of cancer. You know what? The truth has come down to this. It, do you believe it or not? Do you recognize it as authentic? Is it the real thing? And if it is, you're gonna take it. If you're not convinced, you're probably gonna hem all around, and six weeks later, you're not gonna even try it. The point is tonight, we have the authentic Jesus Christ. We have the authentic gospel. We have the authentic word of God. And so I wanna show you tonight, I don't wanna preach and prove to you how authentic Christ is. I think the Bible makes that very clear. But I wanna show you what it does. When you really have the authenticity of Christ as a foundation in your life, it's going to produce something in your life and mine. It's gonna change us, and especially when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission. Number one, notice with me, authenticity in our lives, knowing that we have the authentic Christ and the authentic God of all. Notice it, it first of all, produces in us a confidence in our walk, in our witness. Go to Acts chapter four and notice with me verse number eight, verse number eight. Notice with me verse eight through 12. The Bible says, here's the the apostles are out and they're preaching the word of God, amen. And notice they come down, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. We'll talk about that tomorrow night in verse eight. Um, he says to them, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Verse number nine, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man. You remember how all this started? Why the Pharisees and the religious leaders are involved? Because someone was healed under the power of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't have that ability today. Those sign miracles are gone. God, now we pray the prayer of the righteous shall save the sick. The church in the church, if any man's sick among you, let him call the elders, anoint with oil, and the prayer of the righteous will save the sick. But, but here, under apostolic powers, amen, things that we don't do today, we see that there's a man healed, and they're upset. They're not just upset about the man being healed. They're upset about the gospel and about the Jesus and the resurrected Savior that these men are preaching. And here's what he says. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and of all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. You know the people listening to him, they know exactly the scripture that he's talking about. They know exactly what he's saying. Peter's saying, this is the Messiah. This is the authentic one, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You know what authenticity does? When you have that which is authentic, it produces in our lives a confidence in our walk, in our witness for Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know that he's the real thing. Well, this confidence is based upon two thoughts, amen? First of all, it's based on the authentic word of God. Go with me to the book of Psalms, if you will. Psalm chapter 12, and I know this is a familiar portion of scripture to many, but go with me to Psalm chapter 12. You know one of the first things that I do when I start a church? One of the first things I do when I go to start or plan a church, the very first thing is obviously there are two main things you do. There is no hospital calls to make because you have nobody. You with me? There is no bus route, there's no visitation. 
that the only thing you do is evangelism, you preach the gospel, amen? You preach it everywhere and anywhere. I like Brother Paul going to the homeless camps. Never thought of that one myself, to be honest with you, but good for him, amen? Obviously, the Lord laid that in his heart. They need the gospel too. You say, well, that's a dirty, terrible place full of drugs. Who, who else needs the Lord than a homeless encampment, amen? And so when you start a church, you have to preach the gospel, amen? And you know what you have to do? You have to teach the people that start to come, whether it's through Bible studies and meetings. You don't just get up and preach every week on salvation, amen. You have to teach the word of God. One of the greatest things that I've found, one of the biggest blessings in all the church planning I've done over all these years is teaching people that religion, that so-called Christianity says we have a good copy of the Bible, it's got errors in it, but it's, it's the best that we have today. Man is corrupted. The best thing you could teach is that we have the authentic word of God. And the book of Psalms is very clear on that. Chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, the words of the Lord are what? Pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, <laughs> O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation Forever, The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. Listen, my friend, we have the authentic word of God. And because we know the Bible is infallible, and the Bible says back in Acts chapter 3 that through many infallible proofs, Jesus Christ was proven to be Messiah. Infallible is simply the idea of incapable of error, error not liable to mislead. We have the word of God today. We have the authentic word of God. And because of that, we know that every single thing about Christ, and we're gonna look at something else in a moment, everything about Christ that the Bible says is absolute truth, and we can go straight to a martyr's death based on the truth of this word of God. And so understand, this confidence that it's produced by authenticity it starts with a confidence that is based on the word of God. But let me say it's based on eyewitness accounts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. <coughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now these are the things that we all know well. If you're in a good Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, and I know you are, amen, we know these things. This is just simply preaching to the choirs. Many times we say as preachers, but I don't know, sometimes the choir, maybe not everybody there is listening either, amen? But preaching to the faithful, we'll say. But I want you to think about this. We'll get into some other thought in just a moment, but notice with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to notice with me what he says. Verse number one, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I declared unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the what? So we see the authority of the Word of God. We see the infallibility of the Word of God. Everything Jesus did was based on the scriptures. 
But I want to tell you, we don't serve a risen Savior based on just what the Bible says. And the Bible's good enough for me, amen. But we serve a risen Savior. He is authentic, proven by eyewitness accounts. Look what he says. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of, of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul says, also as one born out of due time. So you see, my friends, listen, if you put Jesus Christ and his authenticity, that he is the Messiah that the Old Testament talked about would come. If you put him on trial and you look at all the evidence and the court's not corrupted, of all the witnesses that saw Jesus Christ alive, of all the eyewitness accounts that have never been disproved to this day, friend, even not just by scripture, but by those eyewitness accounts in any court of law, Jesus Christ would be deemed in a righteous judgment the authentic Messiah. And when you know that, and you go out into this world, you say, preacher, I get nervous talking to other people of other faith. I'm afraid I won't have an answer. Learn this book, amen. Study this book. Study the authentic word of God. Know the authentic savior of this book. And I'm telling you, the spirit of God will give you an answer because the Bible has an answer for every counterfeit Christ that has ever lived or ever will live. He is Jesus Christ. And when you have that kind of authenticity, when you have the real thing, it produces confidence. Not, not cockiness, but confidence Amen. in the believer. Second of all, notice, we notice a boldness. Not only does it produce a confidence in our walk and witness, but it produces a boldness. I'll never forget praying years ago up in Canada when I was working, Brother Burbage and I were working together, and one of the ladies there at the time in the assembly, we were praying in a, in a prayer meeting. We do this once in a while, probably every two months. We'll just have prayer meeting, and we're not as large as you are um, when you're in a church plant, so usually 10, 20, 30, 40 people. We have everybody pray out loud. Anybody wants to pray, they can pray. That comes faithfully, and they have a testimony, amen. And so we'll have prayer meeting. We'll just pray. It takes two hours, three hours, sometimes. Who cares, amen? We're talking to the Lord. And so when we were praying that night, I'll never forget this. Someone was praying and said, dear Lord, please, and sincere, sincere as could be, dear Lord, please, we're not all gifted like Pastor Jim, and, and we don't have the same personality, and, 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 and they meant well. I didn't rebuke them. I understand. But, but we're not people persons. We're shy, and we're timid. And, but you know what? I told them gently as I could, and I preached on this subject shortly after. Soul winning, witnessing for Christ, is not some kind of personality trait. It is a work of the Spirit of God through people that believe in an authentic Jesus Christ. Boldness, if your boldness comes from mustering up, taking personality courses and trying to read books on how to be a better people, if that's where your boldness comes from, it will fail. But let me show you the boldness of authenticity. Boy, does it put boldness, amen. Look at verse 13 of Acts chapter four here. Acts chapter four, verse 13. And by the way, what that lady didn't know, and you've been around me, you that know me, I'm a talker. 
I love people. I like to talk. But I was not born this way. Not at all. I was one of the shyest people you'll ever meet growing up. I couldn't even go in at 15 years old and put in an application for a job. I was so afraid to talk. I sent my brother, and he was very loving and gracious to me, took the application in. I am what I am, as Paul said, by the grace of God today. That's what changes us, amen? He says in verse 13, look at this. Now, when they saw the boldness, they're preaching, amen. Remember what they just said? Hey, there is no other name given under heaven whereby men among men that whereby men must be saved. And he says in verse 13, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, I, I've, I've received some pretty sidetracked comments in my day, maybe in the guise of a compliment, maybe just outright being nasty. But this, this doesn't sound like a compliment to me. Look, he says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were what? Unlearned and ignorant men. That's a compliment, right? Man, you guys got some guts. You got some boldness. You got some matzahs, the Jews would say. Man, you guys, you know, man, you guys got some grit, as John Wayne might say. You got boldness, but boy, you guys, we can tell you're unlearned and ignorant men. I mean, Peter was not polished. You know what's funny? We judge preaching on eloquence sometimes, and yeah, Bible content should be the number one thing, but we judge it on passion and, and eloquence, and does somebody get excited? Let me tell you something. Paul said either Paul was the biggest liar in the Bible, and God recorded all of his lies. Paul said he was not an eloquent speaker. Preacher teasing me about sleep, and I said, hey, I'd join a good crowd if I put someone to sleep tonight. Paul preached so long that he put a guy to sleep. Young man fell down, died. The only difference is don't let that happen to you because I don't have apostolic power to raise you from the dead, amen? And I don't think anybody's up on the rafters tonight, right? And I want you to notice what he says. He says, man, the Bible says they perceive the boldness, they see it, and they perceived that it can't be coming from Peter and John. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You want to be a bold soul winner? You want to be a bold witness for Christ? You want to be a bold servant of God? Your, your theme this year, presenting your body a living sacrifice. You want the boldness that will make you the great Christian that the Lord wants you to be. Not what men think great is, but what God wants you to be. You need to spend time with Jesus. Amen. You need to spend time with him. He's not, just, he's not just praying for the prayer list in the morning and reading a chapter of the Bible or going through some devotional, amen. I'm talking about spending real time with the authentic Jesus. Amen. The Bible says they did that. Can I show you another three men that did this? Go to Daniel chapter three. Go to Daniel chapter three with me. Daniel chapter three. When we embrace and put our focus on the authentic Savior, the authentic Lord, it produces a boldness in our walk and witness. It's a boldness which comes from time spent with the authentic Jesus. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 15. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar in the furnace saw a false Jesus? Talk to me. You're allowed to talk. We're past the Mason-Dixon line. I got all that. We got a brother from California, man. I mean, I, do they say amen in California? They sometimes, all right. I, every place I've been to, it's been very hush-hush 
you have to kind of just wait till they grow out of it. Amen. But I hear some amens here tonight. Amen? Amen. All right. All amen means is so be it. So it's better than oh me, right? But I want you to look at this. Did Nebuchadnezzar see a false Jesus here? Is this a false Jesus or is this the son of the living God? I believe it's the son of the living God. Now look what the Bible says here. We're not going to read the whole story, but go with me down, if you will, over to verse, uh, let's start in verse 15 here, verse 15. um, Oh, I'm sorry, chapter three. You're probably in three, I'm in four. Verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, and you know the story, he makes an image of himself. And of course, he kind of likes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're they're Babylonian names he gave them. He likes them. I think he has a little admiration for these young men. But you know what? The world, they, they'll admire you for a while, but eventually they get tired when you don't do their thing. Now look what he says. Now if ye be ready that at what time, verse 15, ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music. I kind of always found that humorous how it's spelled there because the world's music is sick. Amen. Ye fall down in worship. Who do you think speaking here? Nebuchadnezzar, the king? Or does it sound a lot like G- the, the devil that took Jesus up on? And by the way, what the devil offered Christ, the kingdoms of the world, he is the God of those kingdoms. They are his kingdoms. He had a right to offer that to the Lord. But you know what? Doesn't it sound like the same one? You know what the devil's always demanded? Worship. He wants to be worshiped. Now look at this. He says in verse number 16, I'm sorry, verse 15. He said, now, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now here's what I like. You say, preacher, this is Old Testament. It is Old Testament. But you know what? It's the same principle of the Great Commission. It really is. Because this is what the commission is. We go into a lost world and the Spirit of God is he opens doors and he will do that every day of your life if you will walk in the Spirit. Every day of your life he'll do that. And as he opens doors, we have an opportunity to obey the Spirit of God, obey the commission, and open our mouth and talk about the authentic Jesus. Amen? Now here's what the, the king's saying. It's simple, guys. When the music plays, if you bow down and worship, everything is just like it's been. You're in the palace. Everything's going to stay the same. I can live with the prayers and all those things, but you got to fall down. Listen, I have to save face here, amen? You got to fall down and worship. Otherwise, we're going to have a problem. Now, here's what the Bible says. Verse 17, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, I love this answer, don't you? We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. You know what he's saying? We don't have to think about this. This is what we're going to say. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage which changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. 
And he commanded the most mighty that, um, that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. But look at verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. Look at me. What were the religious crowd? What were they astonished in Acts chapter 4? What were they astonished about? That these men had boldness. And you know what? We can even perceive whether they trust in Christ, whether some were saved or not. We even know, we perceive that this boldness comes from a walk with this man, Jesus. You know what he says here? Look at this. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, look at this now. He says, where are we at? Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast what? Three men bound in the midst of the fire. They answered and said unto him, king, true, O king. He answered and said, lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes on to let them out, get them out of the fire, and he acknowledges the God of Israel is the true God. Let me tell you something, friends. If people see in us a wishy-washy, doubtful belief or faith in Jesus Christ, if he doesn't even seem authentic to us, if we're so afraid to open our mouth and talk about Christ, then how is the world going to see the authentic Jesus? I have went from Scotland to Canada to Scotland to Canada to the hills of Southern Ohio. Not because I didn't pay my rent, my friend. I've went there because I believe in the authentic Jesus. And he is the same God that can save the people in the hills of Southern Ohio. He is the same God that took the the Scots and their spiritism and witchcraft. 60% of the church we started in Scotland, the first church, what 60% of the people that got saved. You remember meeting Mary and those people? They were spiritists. They were witches. But Christ saved them. Why? Because he's the real thing. Hey, listen, this is a boldness that comes with time spent with Jesus. But let me say this. It's a boldness that comes through the authentic Holy Ghost. Look at verse number 29 of chapter 4 of Acts. And we're going to go finish. Go with me back to Acts chapter 4 and look at verse 29. Why are we so afraid of the Holy Spirit today? Think about that. Man, I had a guy ask me one time, I was preaching. Got done preaching a revival meeting at Felicon. They said, why do you call him the Holy Ghost? I saw the Bible uses that term. Amen. Amen. He was sincere as, as, as could be. What he was saying is, I, it sounds weird to me. Well, read your Bible. It's there. Amen. You don't have to. Listen, I've got a lady in our church that had a background right now of the, in this church plan. She had a background, a heavy background, Pentecostal, Pentecostal. And you know what I said to her? I said, just study the word with us. 
Just listen to the word of God. Let's see if the Holy Ghost of the Pentecostals is the same Holy Ghost of the Bible. I said, I think you're going to see a different Holy Spirit, amen? And I think you're going to see a different ministry. See, the Holy Ghost is never going, according to Jesus in John 16, he is never going to magnify himself, although he is God, amen? He is worthy of worship as much as the Father, Son, and the Spirit of God. But his ministry is to uplift Christ, amen, and to guide us into all truth. And here's what he says. Look at verse 29. Now, I love this. I got to be a little sarcastic. My brother here the other day said, little sarcasm, not you, Chris. What's your name, Jack? Is it? Jake, Jake. I like this kid. He's from Cleveland. His, his brothers, his, his dad and his uncle were my, some of my best friends in Cleveland. And he said, there's a little sarcasm in Cleveland preaching. Sorry, I don't mean that. I really don't. I hope it doesn't come across that way. But now I'm not going to be sarcastic. I'm going to be straight to the point. Okay. So what would it, what would the dynamic, what would, what would the dynamics look like in today in America if we went out and preached the gospel and the religious crowd or the government, whichever, both, took us aside, beat us, beat us good, and threatened us and said, don't ever preach again. You say, oh, I'd never do that. Well, we sure buckled the COVID pretty good. Wow, there was no amens there. It's true, though. COVID, what? Why, why wouldn't we meet? Why? Because we're afraid of death? <laughs> because we're afraid of sickness? I told my kids years ago, I said, when you get, as you get older and you have kids, I said, I remember one time they were debating this. Well, what about if our kids are sick? Should we take them to church and make everybody sick? I said, if your kid's profusely vomiting and they're sick, I'm sure nobody wants them in the, in the, the nursery, the crash. I almost used that Scottish word again. I'm sure nobody wants them there. But if your kid has a sniff, I don't think my kids ever lived any time without a sniffle. Right? But if we were in this position... If the dynamics changed for us and we were like most of our brothers and sisters in the world, truly say people, there's more people suffering for the Lord today than in all the years of Christianity up till now. More people dying. We just don't know about it because we have rose-colored glasses living in this country we live in. But you know what we would do? Now they get together and they're in a church meeting, brother, And you know what, Peter and John, they're telling them all about these threatening. You know what? Here's what would happen today. We would get together, call CLA or whatever it's called, the Christian Law Association. We would demand our rights, and we would pray that more Republicans would get in the in the in the in the House and Senate. And we would we need to vote legislate. We have rights. Can I tell you there is no country that is a Christian nation? There is no such a thing, never has been, never will be. Christ and his law. You want to see a Christian nation, the millennials coming, and he will rule with a rod of iron. But my friends, listen, that's what we would do. We would demand our rights. Many people would quit. They wouldn't, they, they, as Jesus said, they count the cost, far too expensive. But look what these say. Look what they say. Verse 29. And now, in fact, verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They're acknowledging the authority of God. Remember what we talked about last night? Now look at this. 
And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all what? Boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus, by stretching forth thy hand to heal. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 31. And when they had prayed, now here was their prayer. This is what they're praying. Lord, great. we're not asking you to remove the threat. It would be nice to live in peace, I'm sure. That's why Paul said, hey, it, if we can live at peace with all men as much as possible, that's great, amen. But he said, he didn't say remove their threatens. He said, hey, through their threatenings, give us boldness to preach the word of God and do miracles through us. And, 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 and he says, after they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. When you get a hold of the authentic Jesus, when you grasp, you hold dear the authenticity of Christ, it produces a boldness in our walk and witness. It's a boldness which comes from time spent with Jesus and it's a boldness that comes through the power of the authentic spirit of God. Let me give you another thing and we're going to finish. I believe that when we embrace the authenticity of Christ, when our focus is on the fact that he is the real thing, I believe it gives us a a confidence in our walk, in our witness. I believe it gives us a boldness in our walk and witness, but I believe it gives us a loyalty in our walk and witness. I really do. Loyalty. Look what he says here back in verse 18 and 19. We're jumping a little through chapter four, four here, but notice verse 18. Notice two thoughts here on loyalty. Their loyalty is to his authority. Remember what we talked about last night? They don't only acknowledge his authority, but they're loyal to it. How do we know that? Look what he says in verse 18 and 19. He said, and they called them and commanded them. That's the religious crowd the persecutors, and they called them and commanded them that what? That not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But I love this answer. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. You know what they're telling them? And I understand the Bible, Paul makes it clear We're to obey civil government. I understand all that. But I think we use that as a cloak of cowardness when the government stands in the middle between us and doing the will of God. And that is not to be. You cannot show me anywhere in that New Testament or in the Old Testament where we are to take the the will of God, the commands of God, put them aside because the government says so. Show it to me. Daniel The three Hebrew children didn't do that. The apostles say to these persecutors, hey, whether it be right to obey you or God, you can be the judge. But you know what? Not only did they have a loyalty based on the authority of Christ and their their loyalty was to his authority, that hey, whether we're gonna obey God or you, you be the judge. But you know what else it was based on? It was based on an experience with Jesus Christ. Look what he says. And I want you to think about this. Look in chapter four here and notice with me verse 20. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God 
to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. But here's the answer now. For we cannot but speak the things which we have what? Say it with me. Seen and heard. Doesn't 1 John chapter 1 start out with that kind of similar tone? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Can I say something to you tonight? The motive behind their loyalty was not, and this drives me crazy, and you may not agree, and that's okay. I'll go back to Southern Ohio, preach, and you do what you will. But I'm telling you, we have too much of this robotic Christianity. That's what it is. We go to church. We go to visitation. We do, we do all the outer things right. We saw yesterday that you know what God thinks about that? God loves us to do the right thing. But the motive of the heart and the reason we do it is more important than just doing it. They didn't say, hey, guys, we, you know, whether it's right to obey God or man or God in, in your sight, what, you know, we can't help but we have to do this because this is what our church requires. They didn't say that. They didn't say, well, you know, uh, we, whether it's right to obey God or man, you know, you be the judge, but, you know, we can't help it. We, I mean, we, this is what people are not going to think I'm a good Christian if I, may, if I don't stand. It's not what they said. Boy, if I could get people to see this, here's what he says. We can't help but preach Christ. Why? Because we have seen him. We have handled him. Now, you have never seen Jesus. You have never handled Jesus as the apostles did. But friend, if you're born again tonight and you get alone with the Lord and you're talking to the Lord, and you're not just reading devotions, and you know what I'm talking about. You're not just praying for some prayer request list to get done with your duty. But friend, you have a real experience with Jesus Christ. You fellowship with him. He's there. You know he's there. He comforts you. He guides you. He leads you. He empowers you to do the work of God. Have you ever experienced the authentic Jesus? Say, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, when you go to Scotland and they tell you that you can't preach on tithing because the Scots won't give, and you stand on the word of God in spite of what brothers, the brethren say, and you preach the word of God, and they were the best givers. When we had our first meeting in Scotland, Evangelist Larry Clayton, my father-in-law, came. That little church of 35 people gave him $1,500 offer, and I didn't put a dime in on purpose. I took care of them in other ways. I wanted to see what they had given. We preached out of Acts chapter 4, and they experienced the real, authentic Jesus. And we preached all through Acts 4 and chapter 2 through 4 and how they were selling their houses and lands. And I said, we're going to take up an offering and we'll give you time to give. We'll do it over four weeks. Man, they're bringing in all this money. And I got a hold of Mary, Gina. And I said, where is this money coming from? You kind of know what these guys are up to. I said, what are they doing? They robbing a bank? And I, I was joking, but, but I was surprised. You know what he said? She said, oh, pastor. She said, 
You remember how you taught us the Bible says we should sell our houses and lands? I said, you people aren't selling your houses, are you? She said, oh, don't be daft. That's Scottish. She said, don't be silly. She said, we don't own our house. We rent them. But she said, we're taking our, our refrigerators and things that we have extras and we're selling it and we're bringing it to the church. Listen, Christ works. Amen. I'm tired of hearing about cold and dead lands. All lands are dead without the power of the Spirit of God. He is the one that brings life. And I want you to understand these these people, their loyalty, it was based on their experience. It wasn't robotics. It wasn't duty. Amen. It was experience with the authentic Jesus. Now go to Acts 7, and we're going to finish with this. And I'm actually doing good tonight. I guess shouldn't surprise myself like that, right? Acts chapter 7. <coughs> Now we're going to jump over a few chapters here to chapter 7. Got a different person. You remember in Acts 6, we get our deacons, amen, and one of those who's obviously doing the work of evangelists, amen. Stephen's out preaching. And I just want to show you in closing tonight this. Listen, when we get our focus on the authenticity of Christ, I mean we, we don't just say we believe it, we live like we believe it. Amen. It produces a confidence in our walk and witness. It produces boldness in our walk and witness. You'll talk to people you never thought you would talk to before. It produces a loyalty in our walk and witness. Man, you have to make a choice. That's what life, life is about. What do you think Jesus meant? Take up your cross and deny yourself. We make these choices daily. But let me say to you in closing, when you embrace the authenticity of Christ... It gives a direction for our vision, what we see in our walk and witness, where our eyes are focused on. Notice with me in Acts chapter 7 here, just towards the end, you know the story. Stephen is preaching. He's preaching a pretty hot message. Um, he's not very, he's stiff-necked, verse 51, and uncircumcised in heart. I mean, why do you always resist the Holy he's, he He's preaching to the hardest of the hard, Amen. But I want you to notice as you come down here to verse 54 and through 56, and notice with me a couple thoughts here. Notice his vision is directed towards heaven. Now I want you to think about this. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. That's conviction, amen? And I don't think I've ever had this happen to me. In fact, I know I haven't. Have you? Have you ever been out witnessing and they're cut to the heart and they gnawed? Or they gnashed on him, I'm sorry, with their teeth. You ever had that? You ever been out preaching the word? You ever been out witnessing to someone? And they get so under conviction and they hate it, they start to gnaw on you? Do you, th do you believe the Bible? That's what it says happened. All these, all these religious people, they're, they're, they're biting, they're gnashing on Stephen. But look at this. Here's what he says. But he, verse 55, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly. He didn't look at the, na the gnashing, didn't look at the people doing it. He looked into what? Heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus. Who? The authentic one. 
standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing on the right hand of God. So notice his direction and his vision is directed towards heaven. Where is your vision at when persecution and trials come? Where's your vision at when you're told, this young man, somebody told me you're going to China? You know what they told me years ago? They told me that I had to go with a mission board because if you didn't go with a mission board, you can't go to certain countries. And I didn't buy that. You know why? Because I believe in the word of God, amen? And if God said to go through his church, I think his church can get, I think the spirit of God can get me anywhere I wanna go. You say, man, I wouldn't want to be that guy. China, man, Russia, man, they can. Listen, we went into Russia to preach from Moldova with a preacher friend over there. We go into Russia. I didn't know we were carrying a thousand Bibles in this van. They told me, oh, by the way, Brother May, I was glad we got through that checkpoint because if we got caught, we'd all be in jail. I said, well, I appreciate a little information before I go. I, I'll go, but I'd like to know that. Wouldn't you like to at least know it? Then we get into Russia. And you know what? The sweetest service that I've ever preached in my life, not because of me. I preached for an hour to those people. And when they were done through the interpreter asking me questions, I thought they were going to ask about milkshakes and hamburgers. You know what they wanted to know? Why do you preach so short? I found out they walked four hours to come to church every Sunday. They walked four hours to go to church. To them, preaching was premium. I felt like such a failure. Amen. Now look at this. His eyes are on heaven. But look at this. Then they cried out with a loud voice, verse 57, and they stopped their ears. You ever have little children do that? I don't want to hear what you're saying. Wives and sometimes wives and husbands do that, right? No, I don't want to hear it. Stop their ears. And ran upon him with one accord. Well, they're unified. Cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. You think the Spirit of God used this in the conviction of Paul? And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And I'm done after this. So let me come down here with you. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this what? To their charge. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. He died. You ever, you ever hear that? You ever see that, an example of that mindset in the word of God before Stephen? Someone that is innocent, Preaching out of his love for the authentic Savior that saved him. And he's preaching the word of God. Doing nothing wrong. Except the only crime he committed was he cared about his Lord and about the lost Jews around him. Sound like somebody that went to the cross 2,000 years ago? And as he hung on the cross and every single drop of blood that he shed was shed for my sin. And yet he innocent, as Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. What evil has he done? He hadn't done anything. But yet on the cross of Calvary, my Lord, the authentic one, says, Father, 
forgive them. For they know not what they do. And Stephen preaching to those same Jews. And Stephen preaches to them and they're gnawing on him. And they're stopping the ears and they're stoning him. Stephen says, instead of saying, Lord, I know one day you'll avenge your servant. Stephen says, forgive them. Forgive them. Because basically in the same line of thinking, they know not what they do. The Bible says if they knew the one that they crucified, if they really knew who he was, they wouldn't have done it. You see, authenticity produces a vision that goes beyond ourselves. And just given to faith promise, I give to faith promise. Everybody ought to give to faith promise. Missionaries are not exempt. Church planners are not exempt. I give to faith. But you know what? I could give to faith promise and I could pray over a prayer list of missionaries. But who's reaching my Jerusalem? Are there lost people in this community? Thousands, millions. How are they going to hear the truth? You going to wait till you take a course on soul winning and learn how to muster up courage? Or are you going to embrace the authentic one? Because when you embrace him, listen, nobody drove me to be a church planner. Nobody had to, nobody had to push me to do it. I did it because he is authentic. Because the real Jesus saved a real sinner and changed my life. So I challenge you tonight. Like the apostles in Acts 1, before you get to the Great Commission verse, man, their eyes are on the restoration of the kingdom. Then they're gawking up in the heavens, almost like he said he's coming back. He'll be back any second. Missing the whole thing that Jesus is trying to show them. Get your focus on my authority, Jesus says. Get your focus on my authenticity. And tomorrow night we'll close with this chapter. And I'm going to show you, we need to get our focus back on the provision. And you know what? God never left you alone to do the work. He gave you the indwelling and the power and the presence and the leadership of the spirit of the living God. And we need to get our focus back on that. Do you believe in the authentic Jesus? Amen. There is no religion on this planet that has an authentic Savior. They're all dead, but we have the real thing. Amen? Preacher, you come.